welcome to the Blue and White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the Blue and White Brothers. Two brothers, two takes, one team. Well, we are 2-0, and bro. 2-0, and man. Yeah, I mean... There's not much to be complaining about through two games so far with the Penn State football Nittany Lions. No, I mean, actually, it just feels like, uh, if anything else, our our excitement is getting even more inflated after we've been able to see... Excitement inflated, but but ready to, to like take on a test, you know? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, which is, which is coming. It's coming. Um, it seems like it's coming. I just don't know when. Is it Illinois or is it Iowa or is it Ohio State? We don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe all of the above. Maybe none of the above. It's still early. But, um, you know, when you're early in the college football season, 2-0 and is a pretty good way to start, no matter who your opponents have been. Um, before we get into the podcast, just uh, checking in, man. How are you doing? What you up to? What's your life all about these days outside of Penn State football, if anything? I'm on day three of a five-day juice cleanse where I've had no solid food. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds awful. Yeah, you know, but I had spent the whole summer eating junk food on trail and, you know, just re- resetting the metabolism a little bit here and resetting the the, the, the cravings and hunger and, and the way I've been eating. Just It's a nice way of getting out of one set of habits and trying to start some better ones. Gotcha. So um, what that means, translation, everyone, if Tom seems especially off today, you know why. <laughs> yeah, I'm not off. I'm perfectly fine. Well, you know, according to your perceptions. I'm amazing. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Gotcha. Blasphemy. If I, see, if I seem off, you all know yeah. why. It's because Tom's if on a cleanse. Andy seems off, it's because he's <laughs> eating junk food and not juice cleansing like his obviously more advanced brother. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, more refined, evolved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm uh, myself in the uh, entrenched in the new uh, school year pattern. Uh, Eileen, who uh, works in a high school, and uh, my daughter, who is in high school, there now on week three and um, off and running. I um, I'm having a hard time uh, getting over the fact that Penn State's doing so well. It's constantly on my mind these days, and uh, that's a problem for me, except... You're having a hard time dealing with the fact that Penn State's doing so well? I mean, y- you know, it's like... Just wait occupying- until we're... Wait until we're like, what, is, what are we, like five and... Gonna be five... I think five and zero before the the Ohio State game. What what happens when we're ranked ahead of Ohio State be- going to that Ohio State game? Uh, how, yeah, how are you going to handle hear you. yourself? I hear you. I need to find a way to to keep my mind uh, and heart occupied when it's not you know, Saturday afternoon. I, I, by the way, I think we'll be six and zero if we are undefeated. I think we have six <sighs> games leading into the Ohio State game. So, feel like, so you need to like get it together. I agree. That's why I'm. You're off. I'm great. You're off. Get it together. We got. We have high expectations this year, Andy. Hi, so, everyone. My name's Andy, and I'm a Penn State fan. And yeah, it's football aholic. season. Penn State. Yeah, aholic. <laughs> it's true. Um, well, I'm not the um, person to go to for help. By the way, <laughs> agreed. Yes. Well, um, yeah. And if any of you are having uh, trouble with uh, being overly hyped about Penn State football, this is obviously not the podcast to listen to because um, we're on that train. We're riding. We're riding that incline. Riding that train. <laughs> 
Hi, um, Penn State football. S- Penn State football. <laughs> <laughs> Good save. Uh, all right. Well, um, that's enough of that. Um, here's what we got for the uh, podcast today. Uh, we do have news and notes, um, some interesting results around the, uh, the nation and around the Big Ten with football, um, as well as some other non-football-related news. Um and then uh, we're going to recap that Delaware game. Obviously, a, a very comfortable win, among other things. And um, we're going to talk about that. And uh, that'll be the show today. Um, as we jump in, I want to remind everyone to go ahead and uh, subscribe or follow our podcast. Um, share the podcast with your Penn State friends. Um, share the love. Everyone would love to hear from you either through a review or uh, through the mailbag. You can write us at blueandwhitebrothers at gmail.com. Um, and with that, let's go to our news and notes. News and notes. All right. Before we get into our uh, our scoreboard, I, I, we just have a little bit of uh, unsavory news to bring to you. Fortunately, not about Penn State, but um, just breaking overnight has been this whole situation with Mel Tucker and Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um, if you all haven't heard about that, um, I suggest uh, don't go reading for details, and unless you're really super curious, it's kind of it's kind of untoward. Um, the Big picture is uh, Mel Tucker brought in this uh, sexual harassment prevention consultant. She herself was a victim of sexual assault at the hands of football players. Well, Specifically a rape survivor, by the way. Yes. Um, uh, I was, tra- was, I was just I was, trying I, to be discreet, bro. But I anyway. I, well, that, that's, we don't have to get the details of the accusations being made against Mel Tucker, but I think that's relevant to this you know, fair, subject. fair enough. Fair and enough. It, specifically, it was, uh, you know, at the hands of, at the time, 25 years ago, two Oregon State football players and a recruit and one other um, person. So she, she is somebody who has, is well spoken on the matter, being an, um, you know, an advocate against this, you know, yeah, and apparently she's very highly regarded in yeah. this sort of consultant space. Mel Tucker brought her in three different times to speak to her, 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 the, his team. So, yeah, and, and, um, now the allegations have come out of unwanted advances. Um, of course, Mel Tucker is saying, uh, it was consensual. Um, she's saying it really wasn't, um, even if it turns out there was no crime or even no specific policy violated, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I, personally find it hard to believe, but the investigation is ongoing. Um, nonetheless, it's exceptionally unprofessional in my perspective. You know, um, it's extremely just uh, unwise. And um, at the moment, Mel Tucker is suspended from all coaching duties. Um, I think everyone expects that once the quote unquote process plays out, he is going to be ultimately fired regardless of the result of the yeah, investigation. He, he might not last a week. Um, and it's all but a formality essentially um, at this juncture that he's suspended without pay. I mean, you'd look at the rise and fall of, of Mel Tucker specifically with his, you know, blockbuster contract a couple years ago after making a big splash and um, yeah, has not been good on the field, but um, this off field stuff, I mean, certainly with Michigan state and the whole Larry Nasser thing in their rearview mirror. I mean, not really, but uh, you know, just still a kind of a cloud hanging over the whole athletic department uh you know you expect better of your key high profile leaders 
of course, everyone's human and like people in these roles are, are by no means exempt from, you know, the mistakes that, that anyone can make, but you just expect to have better, you know, better uh, judgments, better moral compunction from, you know, in the wake of the Nasser situation, um, and that's putting it, you know, lightly, uh, they, they, they can't afford to keep a guy on staff like this. <laughs> like you can't have him walking around campus. You can't have him engaging with, it's just, it's a bad look in general, but, but like, you know, on top of that, and, and both things can exist, um, non-mutually exclusively in that, that they, he is worthy of being fired, but also they probably want to get out of this contract too at this point. I mean, I, they're two and oh, it's, but like last year was a, a, a steep drop off. They've had some bad, some ugly games. And, you know, the, even without them being too, you know, even with them being two and oh this year, it, it's not a, it's not a contract that makes sense, you know, in hindsight, I don't think. Um, so I, I don't I, know. I don't know. To what's me, that's happen. a that's a little besides the point. And yeah, I agree, I agree, but it's still a talking point. At, at, you know, yeah, nationally speaking, I mean, and in the Big Ten conference. Um, and what's even stranger about this, in my opinion, is they're bringing Mark D'Antonio on as an assistant, at least to advise. Uh, yeah. in, in the rest of the season, it's I, you know it's I don't know all if it's kinds be an, of weird. I don't know if it's, it's supposed to be an on-field position or anything, or if it's like strictly behind the scenes. I I, I don't know why you do that. That'd be like. To me, that'd be like keeping, like, um, it'd be like bringing Joe Paterno back. I, if I was, well, I was going to say like having Jay Paterno being like part of the college or the Penn State football decision making process. You you've moved on, you know. Yeah. And, and by the way, that person was part of that problem, the, the Nasser situation, that, right? You know. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. which um, is I think why he ultimately did get fired, even though he was underperforming, to which is what it looked like they were firing for, but he. That was part of, I think, you know, what people's, you know, they were like, oh, I can't believe you're still have this guy employed with that, the Nasser stuff, you know, cloud over the D'Antonio era, um, you know, in general. So, yeah, I, I think, I, um, you know, the other kind of angle on this for me is that this is just, it's a really bad look again for the big 10 and and how many of these major programs who i think and you know you're talking about midwest uh major universities you know and now yet another program uh and their their coach has been tainted by you know a major major uh scandal um that that leads to the end of their coaching program you know penn state's in the middle of that ohio state's had michigan uh, yeah i mean all of these i mean even i i was not without some of its scandal uh not necessarily the, in the, the gambling st- stuff you know well, the right gambling now. and their their coat their former strength and conditioning coach oh, was that's involved right. with some racial stuff at the beginning of what last season or the year before one of the two you know um, it's a, it's important like you know not to throw stones in glass houses but i yeah, also think sure. like we're living in a day and age where you know the public certainly the players and i would think increasingly the fans expect transparency and expect that you know yes we want a winning program but it certainly isn't at all costs and you know you've got to you've got to find a way to have um you know an ethical program that's totally above board and um it's it's a it's a bad sign of the times and and hopefully um you know the administration at Penn State has learned a lot from Penn State's own um 
experience with this kind of scandal and that, that we're definitely moving forward uh, putting the right kind of protections in place so it doesn't happen in our context again because, gosh, you just it, – it, it's it's very, very – it's disconcerting. I, you know, I, every expectation that Michigan State's going to have a pretty rough year after this, and maybe a rough couple years. Um, you know, you know, it makes me, it makes me a be thankful that Franklin hasn't been like in the headlines much in these types of ways. You know, obviously there's a couple things that he was in headlines for, and they kind of have both not held any water. One was like coming from Vanderbilt. There was some, there was some um, sexual assault accusations on what maybe a player or two of his back then and people were saying you know did some of that carry with him to, to Penn State was it was it you know was it were any of the allegations true was Franklin involved or not in terms of like trying to cover it up but unsubstantiated and then of course with the Micah Parsons locker room situation that I'm unsubstantiated as well so by and large Franklin has kept his nose clean on some of these more scandalous fronts and you know through 10 years I, I think we can be thankful that Franklin, you know, hasn't had anything that has made us, you know, disappointed or embarrassed that, that this is the guy we have at our helm. Um, may, so may no act of ours bring shame, right? right. Yeah, um, but so I definitely, I definitely hope that you know this is a case of actually having integrity through the program, yeah. not just like having been able to keep things tamped down enough, which is that's like kind of the old school way of doing things. And and hopefully, I mean, Franklin seems like he's a new school kind of guy and hopefully, um, you know, that's how he's running the program and uh, remains two, to be seen. But that's, that's my expectation. Two things about this that, that then I have questions about is, is uh, well, one, th- one question I have is how does this affect Penn state moving forward? Obviously we play Michigan state at the end of the season. Likely they won't have Mel Tucker, but will this galvanize the Michigan state players to, to, you know, being, you know, a contender in any way. I, I'm not, you know, they're two and oh, anything is possible. But um, the other thing being is how can, this sounds crazy, but like, you know, there's a high profile wide receiver recruit in the 2024 class that Penn State just missed on. Uh, he was regarded as, um, you know, Penn State being a second choice. That's Nick Marsh, um, a seventh ranked wide receiver nationally. Uh, his, his nickname is Megatron. He's out of Michigan, um, the state, you know, in high school. So can, can does that does that have does this have any effect on on their recruiting class? And I, I'm, so I'm just going to keep an eye on those things is how, how Michigan State, the team bounces back and and what this means for their recruiting class moving forward yeah i'm gonna just leave those as rhetorical questions and and not respond um (laughs) let's go ahead and leave this topic and get to the more exciting element of uh the news and notes which is uh some headlines and 10 second takes 10 minute tangent (laughs) 10 seconds okay so it was kind of a interesting weekend for uh top 25 football and we had a few big early season upsets, and I'm going to hit you with those headlines right now. All right, first one, number 23, Texas A&M face plants against unranked Miami, falling 48 to 33 against the U. I mean, (laughs) it's kind of like a win-win here. Like, either team (laughs) losing is awesome, but I definitely, you know, A, Texas A&M is ranked 23rd, so happy to watch Jimbo flounder. That's really special. I really enjoy that. Again. <laughs> yeah, again. <laughs> um, all right. Here's uh, here's your other big upset. This was really kind of, I think, the big game of the weekend and uh, big result. 
Nick Saban loses at home by double digits for the first time since 2003 when he was the coach at LSU as number three Alabama looked outclassed against number 11 Texas losing 34 to 24. At first glance, you think it's the quarterback who had two turno- two turnovers in the game, Jalen Milrow. Um, but then the defense also gave up 34 points. And at home, it's just uncharted territory at this stage in you know, Nick Saban's you know, Alabama head coaching career. It's, I like it. I mean, I'm happy that, that there's a changing of the guard from like there's opportunity for teams like Penn State to make a move in the national landscape. That's what I like about this the most. I agree. Um, There were also some near upsets this weekend. Um, Here's one of those. Number 12, Utah escapes by the skin of their teeth against Baylor, scoring two touchdowns in the final two minutes to stave off the upset and getting a 20 to 13 win. I was watching multiple games at the same time, but definitely had an eye on this game the entire time. Utah did not look good all game. It looked like, you know, Baylor, who just got beat by Texas Southern the week before in the biggest upset probably of the weekend last week um, from like a spread standpoint. But Utah pulled it out with their backup quarterback, third, third string quarterback, by the way, yet again, and just waiting on seeing if Utah can, you know, rise back to form that they were at last year with Cam Rising. Get it rising back to form. Wow. Cam Rising. I like what you did there. Yeah. Trying to hold on until they get their star quarterback yeah. uh, back in the lineup. All right. Um, here's another near upset. I thought this was definitely going to happen, and then it didn't. Um, the Ducks laid an egg in Lubbock trailing behind Texas Tech for most of the game until number 13 Oregon put up 10 unanswered points in the final four minutes to beat the Red Raiders 38-30. to Yeah, a backbreaker for Texas Tech, who lost last week, I forget too, by the way. Uh, or no, wait, they lost to Wyoming at, you know, over 7,000 feet in Laramie, uh, Wyoming. Um, big upset there for Wyoming, but Texas Tech was supposed to be someone, you know, a team that vi- vied for the uh, Big 12 title this year, and now they're 0-2, and it's not you know, they can still do it, but, you know, losing to Oregon in an implosion, an imploding fashion is not how you want to, you know, start cap off your second week of the season being 0 2. It's that's tough, tough break for them, especially at home. Yeah. Um, but that's Oregon, you know, future Big Ten Oregon. I don't know. Like, I don't like Oregon looking strong this season going into next season, even if it, Bo Nix is graduating at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the Pac-12 is seems like they're making a statement in their last gasp uh, existence as a, a conference. So far, they they look like they're the most complete conference right now. Yeah, impressive. Uh, speaking of, uh, here's another notable game, um, not because of the score, but just because of the significance. Uh, number six USC tramples Stanford fifty-six to ten. And the Trojans leave the Cardinal in the dust as a rivalry that spanned 118 years and 102 meetings comes to a close. They literally leave them in the dust in, in both on the field and off the field. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Caleb Williams still looks like the um, the class of the quarterback uh, Heisman Trophy race at the moment. Um, I, I don't know if it, that's the last time those two schools are going to play. I, it, I think it's not impossible that, that they work out some some no details doubt. but nothing yeah, so, is scheduled no, right that's that is strange i don't i don't love that for college football um and stanford's heading to the acc so yeah, i don't yeah. know it's part of the demise of the uh the mighty pack 
12 and it's uh, all those conferences that preceded it. Yeah. Um, all right. Here's my favorite headline of the weekend. I spent a really long time thinking it up. Are you ready for this one? I am ready. All right. Here you go. Pitt loses to Cincinnati at home, 24 to 27. <laughs> That's it. That's a headline. <laughs> <laughs> um, nar don't z. <laughs> All right, you come you come out swinging in in the you know last week um, about how Penn State won't schedule you and you say you know it's on Franklin's plate and they won't answer your calls and and then you go <laughs> and you crap the bed to <laughs> former Group of Five Cincinnati. I, I mean they were losing worse than the score actually um, you know shows. I just I, you know every every chance this guy gets he looks like a like a jackaloon you know <laughs> I, I don't i don't like him uh, i mean no. i like him for college football but as yeah. a penn state fan you just it's easy to hate this guy yeah yeah exactly he's like he picks a fight with penn state like like a like a little brother you know like like me who who just <laughs> is you know c- continually? Are you comparing never, yourself to Pat Narduzzi? <laughs> yeah, but uh, but my reach is stronger than it was back in the day, Andy. But it's I like know. it's almost like Penn State subconsciously just has their hand on Pat Narduzzi's head, and he's just furiously swinging while Penn State's like playing another game. <laughs> you know, living rent free in Pat Narduzzi's head. I love it. Yeah. For, and again, I, I've made this statement before, but I would love to have that team on our schedule every single year. Just to humiliate them on the field. Yeah. And and, and even when we lose one, like that's still good for college football yeah. and good for, for regional rivalries. You know, well, like maybe our, in some alternate universe, like if the multiverse is real, there is a, a a reality where Penn State and Pitt are playing regularly. Our second our second most played uh rival is West Virginia, and that is such a lopsided um, you know, affair. We you know, we've won most of the games by and large against West Virginia. But P- Pitt, you know, we're kinda we're close. I think it's pretty I think it's like yeah, even. it is almost is very even actually. Um, yeah, it, it's it's nice uh, and it, you know Pat Narduzzi. We take. can say thank you to him for keeping that rivalry alive just by opening his dumb mouth. Yeah, I'm happy about it. Franklin does <laughs> not. Franklin's not is way more measured. Uh, totally. uh, with with this than than Narduzzi is, <laughs> but like it almost would be great if he leaned there. in on the on on not being measured to like really like. I, Franklin did say, for what it's worth, they will yeah. look into it. He did make the make the statement, at, you know, at some point this past week after Narduzzi's comments. He's like, "We'll look into it." He's like, "Well, if that's what the fans want, he's like, we'll we'll figure it out." He actually kind of made. Well, let's it. get a let's get a fan petition going then. I mean, if if we he, only you know have, what he did say though, you know what he did say what um that that Who, one of Franklin the re- or Narduzzi Franklin one that one of the reasons why they don't have the uh, the home and home thing scheduled is because in order to get the Penn State pit game in Pittsburgh, you have to have bought season tickets for Pitt. That's the only way you could get yeah. that. And it like, and that's he's just like it's not, just not fair. No, he's like, it's not it's, fair for Penn State fans to have to like go to the game and he, be he was basically saying like holder. it's not just Penn State's doing like no doubt you all aren't you're taking advantage of this relationship to sure. you know fill your stadium. And he yep. was like and then it's here's not even the their shade stadium. He, it's not even here, their stadium. Here's the shade that he threw is he says 
uh, you know, when Pitt comes to town, it only bumps our attendance by 2,000. When we go there, it bumps their attendance by 40,000. And they it's make true. us buy season tickets to get to get in the stadium. So And and we we by 40,000 meaning we are the majority of the yes. uh, of their so like so I get it from like a a you know historical perspective of it's not worth it to Penn State to like play this rivalry. But like that's that's not what the the rivalry the rivalry isn't for Penn State, it's for the fans. Yeah, exactly. You know, right. and that's where and that's where Pittsburgh's falling short is it's not they they don't they don't make it easy for the fans. Yeah, that's I think both that ways. was Frank. It's not point. it's not equal yep. and fair both ways. And Franklin was like, if there's a way to make it equal and fair for the fans both let's ways, he's like, let's do it. Yeah, that's basically what he was insinuating. Yep. All we right. Spent too um, much time on this, but like, gosh, I love to hate Narduzzi. <laughs> Um, all right, moving to the Big Ten. Uh, some interesting results in the Big Ten as well. Um, hey, uh, do you know there's this new coach, uh, Dion Sanders? He's coaching uh, the Colorado Buffaloes. Never heard of him. Yeah, uh, making some waves. <laughs> uh, coach Prime keeping the buzz alive as number 22 Colorado dominated an offensively inept Nebraska final score 36 to 14. Listen, I'm going to have a little tangent here. Just, just, I know we just did, but you know, I, and it's not even about, um, Nebraska being in that being bad. <laughs> yeah. Their quarterback fumbling multiple times and, and it's, he, he's a disaster and rule did say, Oh, we're going to correct this and correct that. But Colorado, I was wrong. Uh, I like did not think that Colorado is going to be two and zero, you know, going into week three. They'd certainly have some very capable playmakers, Obviously, including Shador Sanders, but I, the, they're, and by any means necessary, like go and win games, but it's, it's almost like they are casting this, this like disrespect, um, you know, picture of their team that no one respects him, including pointing the finger at every single team so far as being directly and intentionally disrespectful to their own team and you know like there was the midfield uh, situation where Matt Rule and the and Nebraska team came out on midfield to have a pregame not like during Colorado's like full-blown warm-ups where but they just had a, a center of the field um meeting and and the the you know, Shador Sanders was like, oh my gosh, this is disrespectful. Like, how could you do this? He went out there and met them and like pushed them all away kind of thing. Not physically pushed them away. But and as he was like jawing with some of the Nebraska players, he was holding up his Rolex watch in their face. <laughs> it was just, Good it's, Lord. it's not a, it's some of these things are not a, a great look from a sportsmanship um, perspective. And like, who the heck, like, when is it, you know, across the board that every midfield it, you know, meeting is disrespectful no matter what. I've never heard about the Colorado Buffalo being sacred ground. No, you know, yeah, and lots of teams meet in the middle of the field just to like have a meeting. You know, yeah, I don't think yeah, that was Nebraska get, doing that intentionally. Get a lay of the land. Yeah, nobody was jawing. With, now, like, obviously, they're like historic rivals, and so that sure. you know, like some of but that they weren't may like just be planning a flag in the center right. of the field or anything. Right. They just were literally conducting a, a, a run of the mill meeting. There was no. There was no disrespect happening in and of itself. I just, I, I, I hope I would like to just see Colorado go about their like a businessman work like attitude and backing it up the way they have been that well, way. And, and let's just of, say this: they are setting themselves up for a pretty big fall. And that's exactly by the way, it. by the way, the entire 
college football media and the whole sports media is setting them up happy to go along with it to the point where the big noon kick, which was, you know, is uh, for Fox is Penn state, Illinois this coming week. Guess what? They shifted their pregame show from Penn Illinois over to Colorado just because, you know, that's and where a, all the big news Colorado is. State, by the way. Colorado so, State. Fox well, is having a love affair with Colorado right now, yeah, thanks to fine. Joel Klatt you know, and everything. What, what goes up must come down. And um, <laughs> the, 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 the come down on this is it may be sooner than later. They play, uh, Colorado plays USC and Oregon before the end of September. Yeah. I mean, look, if they're undefeated by the end of September, we've got something really interesting on our hands. But until Absolutely. then, you ain't played nobody. No. So, so, and on top of that, moving forward, they, <laughs> dude, they still play, like you said, um, 13th ranked Oregon, 5th ranked USC, and then they play 24th ranked UCLA at the end of October. Then they play... That's at UCLA. Then they play or- 16th ranked Oregon State, and then they uh, to close out the season they play Washington State at Washington State, who is now ranked after beating Wisconsin. And um, they their final game is at Utah, who will be probably a very tough out at that point. They're 12th ranked, so it's not impossible. You know, they play some of their non ranked opponents are Stanford. That should be a win. Arizona State. That should be a win. Colorado State this weekend, that should be a win. But Arizona is even a team that that could beat them. And that would if they did if they only beat Colorado State, Arizona State, and Stanford, that's only five wins. Yeah. You know what I'm so saying? They've got a long way to go. And obviously they definitely do. if they knock off one of these ranked teams through the season, that that's a different that's a different thing. But you know, you you got you got a lot to show. Uh, yet before you can really kind of claim to be one of the best. And I do feel like the everyone's disrespecting us kind of thing is a little bit overplayed right now because guess what? Nobody's disrespecting you anymore. You're on everybody's radar. So right. like get over right. yourself and play the play the game would be kind of my... They'll, they'll, they're going to keep playing it until they have... Until like, they can't, yeah. Until they have one or two losses. What are the odds that Colorado's just completely forgotten by the end of the season? Eh, not zero. <laughs> but, right, but I would say with D on there, it's it it's it's he'll find a way so. to keep telling people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, it'll be interesting to see how that takes shapes, uh takes shape just from a fan perspective. But uh, let's move on through the rest of the Big Ten. Yep. Um, you already mentioned it. Um, Luke Fickle's Badger rebuild hits some early bumps. Yeah. As number 19, Wisconsin falls to unranked Washington State 31 to 22. And the Coover, the Cougars storm the field after a cathartic win that proves they're still power five material. I watched the entire game. Um Wisconsin like went away from running the ball. Uh, it was a strange game. They they were not effective in the run game and Really, Washington State looked good, so I can't tell if Wisconsin's bad or Washington State's good. It's it's unclear, and obviously Wisconsin's going through some growing pains here. Um, it's I, jury's out. You know, the Big Ten West is up for grabs still um, as we approach the Big Ten slate. I, I'm still eager to see how this Wisconsin team takes shapes with a new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new transfer quarterback. But right now, Washington State ranked beat Wisconsin, and that's their second year in a row beating Wisconsin. So pff, hats off to the Cougs and their dwindling power five slash 
you know, Pac-12 run. They're going to be Mountain West next year at this point in time unless something changes. Okay, continuing on through our 10-second pitch. <laughs> um, in a potential sequel of two of last year's Cinderella stories, Kansas keeps the good times rolling while Illinois stumbles as the Illini suffer an uneven 23-34 to loss to a pretty good-looking Jayhawks team. Yeah, I'm not going to mention anything about Illinois here because we we'll talk about them quite a bit as they're our matchup for this coming week. Um, but Kansas's quarterback is legit. They had a – Kansas had a, a – it was a, a – you know, going anywhere on the road on a Friday night is tough. Um, we certainly have been on our share of, of that in the past, and um, that's a tough tough ask to do primetime uh, against a Power 5 opponent in Kansas, looking like a strong team. All right, moving on. Um, a defensive touchdown helps Iowa secure Kirk Ferentz's 200th career win against in-state rival Iowa State as the Hawkeyes outlast the Cyclones 20-13. to I mean... Are we allowed to talk about Iowa not, you know, get, getting to their point total? They only have 44 points in the year through um, two games. It's yeah, and like, only 13 of this week's points were from the offense. It, exactly. And so it's just like staggering that that, that Brian Ferentz uh, is getting, you know, the credit for these offensive or these defensive and special teams points. <laughs> It's not, I would be so mad if they end up, you know, if I was an Iowa fan and, and he, he gets to stay on because of how good their defense and special teams are. It's just <laughs> it's pretty it, funny. It's terrible. Uh, congratulations to Kirk Ferentz on 200 wins. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, here's a two for one. Okay. Number two, Michigan and number five, Ohio state earn identical 35 to seven victories in pedestrian performances over UNLV and Youngstown state. Yeah, I would say the pedestrian performance is a little more on Ohio State side. But they did look better. Uh, Michigan certainly, you know, their run game is is not up to snuff quite yet. Um, but JJ McCarthy certainly looks the part of a top, you know, four team quarterback. Uh, but we're still waiting to see a little bit from what Ohio State can do against a solid point opponent. So I think there's room for Penn State to wiggle in there against that Ohio State. Next headline, Maryland struggles early with Charlotte, but figures it out in the second half to pull away for a comfortable 38 to 20 win. Man, I was rooting for Charlotte in that game. You know, really just was. Um, I, I was too. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> is Charlotte FCS? Uh, I think they might be. No, I think they're a group of five. Really? No. Really? Yeah irrelevant shot like who is charlotte the fact that we're even <laughs> exactly. asking that question means that charlotte's not a player at all like what happened maryland you're at home do you have a look ahead game who's your next opponent like get together mike loxley geez um tua you or talia you have you, you uh, <laughs> yeah you're not gonna get drafted playing games like this against charlotte all right, uh, we're going to end with a feel-good headline. Uh, Northwestern shows up against UTEP, winning by a comfortable 38-7 to and getting their first win on U.S. soil in several years. Wow, that's... <laughs> That's something, man. I that's 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 an interesting prospect of of how bad Northwestern has been. So are they one and one or two and zero oh now? I forget. Did they lose the first game? Uh, no, they lost the first game. They're one okay. and one. Okay. All right. Well, hey, it was a Big Ten, Big Ten victory. And, and I don't know what to say. Good, good for them. You know, lost your coach. You got your first win. You know, you don't have to wait an entire season or 
more to. I mean, it was UTEP, but they put up 38 points and held them to seven. I mean, that's that's respectable. Anyway, uh, that might be the high point of their season. All right, Um, (laughs) let's uh, let's leave behind the uh, the 10 second takes and just uh, finish our news and notes with a poll watch. Penn State holds steady in the AP poll at number seven. Alabama and Texas effectively are swapping places around us. Bama down to number 10, Texas up to number four. Ohio State drops for the second straight week after a win. Now they're at number six. Hey, no Clemson in the top 25, even after they beat an FCS opponent. And Iowa reappears in the top 25 at 25, giving us another top 25 opponent. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um. It is interesting about no Clemson in the top twenty-five. Even after they smoked, you know, it took them a minute. It took they they smoked their their opponent in Charleston Southern. If I think that was their opponent. Sounds right. Um. You know, no Ohio State, no Alabama, no Clemson, no Oklahoma in the top five. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's a long season, but here early in the season, it's really surprising to have that result. There and is I think opportunity is the point. Every one of the group of five teams is represented in the top five. Yep. Also I mean, very interesting. Every one of the power five is what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was I was a slightly bit slightly bit concerned with maybe they're going to put Bama and keep Bama in front of us and obviously have Texas jump us, but they they almost they dropped them to tenth. They are on the cusp of being out of the top 10. That is, uh, I, I think that that goes to show like the respect for Penn State, I think. Um, I think and what, people are starting doing. to see what, what we're doing. And, and I've read some accounts where people are saying, hey, Penn State is looking favorable on the field compared to, you know, Michigan and Ohio State. So we'll see. But I, I like that there's some buzz. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, let's talk about that Delaware game. What more can you ask for when you play an FCS team like Delaware? Uh, probably a not a whole opponent, lot. Andy has a ranked opponent in the FCS. Very good a ranked point. Opponent, Andy. <laughs> uh, Quality um, win. Chalk it up. Uh, this was uh, Penn State's first ever game streamed exclusively on Peacock. Um, the best thing I can say about that is that it gave me a chance to actually watch the game because my power was out for the day on Saturday, and uh, my little bitty two bars of service gave me a chance to watch the game on my phone. It was not wow. my ideal viewing experience, no. um, but I got to see it. Um I wasn't a huge fan of the commentary uh, or broadcast, but um, Michael Robinson been just, was on the color. He, he did a fine job, I thought, but um, it just you know, I mean, it's like the you know, it's a Big squad. Ten. Michael M. Rob still that's team. he's not a um, w- widely regarded like play caller. Uh, he you know he he has he I hasn't think done he's it a lot. Yeah, he thinks he's got a lot of potential uh, to become a better commentator, and that's typically what you have is you've got a like developing uh, commentary crew in in some of these games. But hey, I was glad to watch the game. It was a it was a great day for a game. Hundred eight thousand fans on hand for a noon game against an FCS team when you know Pitt can't even you know fill their stadium on <laughs> you know on the best of days. So you know it just goes to show you what kind of a um, you know, a sense of uh, excitement there is around the program right now. And that's, that's a really good thing. Yep. Agreed. So um, just big picture. I mean, I think everyone knows by now uh, we beat Delaware guys. Uh, isn't that wonderful? 63 to seven. Um, you know, it was a game that was played, 
you know, clean enough, seven penalties for 55 yards, but didn't really have a big impact. Um, hey, the last time we played an FCS team, Villanova, two years ago, uh, we could only manage a 13 to, excuse me, 38 to 17 score. And, um, you know, this is a lot more like it, a lot closer to that Idaho um, back in 2019, 79 to seven, um, you know, just putting up points with ease. Both teams were really... Uh, you know, both the offense and defense uh, were really, you know, seem to be operating for the most part at a very high level. Um, and as we kind of were saying a little bit on the Big Ten landscape, Penn State's looking strong and taking care of business, even as some other um, of the top marquee names in the Big Ten seem to be, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say sputtering, but, you know, struggling to fire on all cylinders against similar uh, types of opponents. Offensively, it was a huge day for the ground game. Over 300 rushing yards on the day. Nick Singleton, three touchdowns. Um, Katron Allen with 100-plus yards of uh, rushing and another touchdown on the ground. Uh, two more rushing touchdowns um, by each by one of our quarterbacks. Um, we scored touchdowns on our first four possessions. It was just a very efficient day all around. I think uh, seven of eight uh touchdowns um on the first eight drives uh, eight of 14 on third downs three of three on fourth down we held the ball for 42 minutes of the game and it looked like we had the ball all the time it's because we did uh, we were just a grinding game of keep away against a, an overmatched opponent so yeah, i mean you look at it and you're like you're watching the game you're like oh my gosh at the end of the first quarter it's 14 to 7 but like get, like no need to panic in a first quarter, right? <laughs> like when you have the athletes, no need to panic when it's fourteen to seven. It was fourteen to seven the week before at West Virginia. No need to panic, right? So, so you, you got to wait to to see how you you grind a team down, and that's exactly what Penn State did. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything that you know cause for quote unquote concern, it just felt like again the defense was not playing quite at the same level as the offense was. Um, there was that lapse that let him score a, a 66 yard rushing touchdown. Um, you'd hate to see that against anyone, let alone an FCS team. But um, that said, you know the defensive had a statistically very good day. Um, they held. Delaware to five first downs compared to our 34 first downs. They had only 82 rushing yards, even with that 66 yard run and only 58 passing yards held their quarterbacks. Uh, they ran multiple quarterbacks. They held them to uh, six of 17 passing. So um, just all in all, a very, very dominant win from the scoreboard to the box score. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's FCS <laughs> Delaware. Like, like I, I, I predicted, you know, a 55 to 10 win. And we su superseded that by uh, quite a bit, you know, and, um, I, you know, we were expected at least according to Vegas to win by 44 and we won by a lot more than that. So, you know, this team is overperforming in a lot of respects. Um, but to can, you know, to keep it into context, it is an FCS Delaware team that I think is still getting their footing after, um, maybe losing a couple of guys last year. Yeah, you hope to see them go on to have a lot of success um, in their own conference, and um, that would be uh, certainly rewarding to to beat a team that ends up you know being a very very good team in their own um, right. in their own division. Right. Um, but it does you know, and I felt this. I don't know if you felt this, bro. Um, it's been brought up um, in a couple of the write ups. Like, why even play? an FCS team. Why? I mean, it happens all over college football. It, Obviously, it, it gives this 
you know, program, some exposure, the Delaware program exposure that they wouldn't otherwise have had gives them a, a payday, but it, you know, it just doesn't feel competitive and it doesn't feel fair. Dude, SEC programs do the same thing. Yeah. I don't feel bad about playing an FCS team as a fan. I'd rather watch a better matchup, but you know, so many players got into this game for Penn State's, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth string dudes. So many players got got work. A lot of true freshmen, um, players that otherwise wouldn't play. You know, in a game like the West Virginia game, significant reps for a lot of these guys. When you blow out an FCS team, and it's not insignificant to be getting those reps in front of a full Beaver Stadium. You know, hundred over 108,000 people for an FCS opponent on a noon kickoff is not insignificant. Um, you know, the fans showed out. And being that it was a, a regional Delaware team, I think the Delaware fans showed out, too. Um, Delaware is not a bad FCS team. They are a good FCS team. They've won national titles. They've, they've had big-time players go on to be in the NFL. Joe Flacco, um, Troy Reader, a former Penn State linebacker that is still playing in the NFL currently. You know, th- so they have some pedigree there. It's not, it's not insignificant. I, I, I don't hate it. There's other ones that I'd, I'd sooner rather play less. But being that it was a regional opponent, I, I feel okay about it being Delaware. I feel okay about it being a Villanova. It's, it's, it's fine. But I, I but, agree. I do like the in-state aspect of it, or like the a border state kind of thing. That's uh, to me more, over a team like Idaho. I feel better about something like that. Yeah, um, no doubt. But there's also this interesting uh, quote from Franklin um, when he commented on, you know, playing an FCS team. And he says this, quote, I think if you look at the model of teams that have been in the championship, teams that have been in the playoffs and teams that have won conference championships, I think there's pretty good data and evidence on what the right thing to do is, end quote. And it's a little cryptic, but this is, I think, what he's talking about. Since Ohio State in 2014, every national champion has faced at least one FCS opponent en route to their title, with the exception of Alabama's victory in that COVID-19 season when and people are only playing conference opponents. So, so, so what Franklin is saying, like, basically... Not to say that if you play an FCS team, obviously. you're going to win, but it's to say that, like, the teams that have won since 2014, they have played an FCS team, and maybe there's some reasoning behind that. Well, I think the reasoning is that Franklin is – I don't know if you have picked up on this a lot, but you know what Franklin talks a lot about? Um, he talks about a lot about what brings value to Penn State football and where where this brings value to other teams and Penn State football is getting your depth experience in a game, a real game. Not a not your not playing against your guys in preseason or in practice throughout the week, in a real game where this this the stakes are real and the, and you know <laughs> you get twelve Saturdays in the regular season a year, getting your guys your depth significant playing time, which is what we did. It, it gives value to this. Yeah, this not kind only of a that. Not only that, but it also gives you know guys like Rest. Alu Fashanu or Alu yes. Fashanu who's gonna you need to play potentially if we're in that national championship title game it will have been by you know assuming we go through the big 10 championship game that will have been 15 games that will have played by then you know and so to have your left tackle have a game where he can basically take the bench early in the second quarter 
Um, so it helps him too. It helps those other guys, you know, um, help start your running back. So the wear and tear is not nearly as bad as it might otherwise be. Andy, Ola Fashionu. Is it Fashanu or Fashanu? <laughs> so the a thousand oh player. Name. So can you try and guess how many offensive linemen had more snaps than Olu did? I mean, he didn't play a lot. I would be surprised. I would not be surprised. If it was like seven or eight guys that had more. Seven snaps different linemen yeah. had more snaps than than Olu. The only people that had less snaps than Olu were freshmen. So they were wow. like, okay, oh, you're done. Like, get out. Like, we're, we get it. We know what you can do. You know, the, the idea is like, okay, when, 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 I mean, they pulled him out even when, when, um, Drew was still in the game. You know what I mean? So that goes to show you how valuable yeah. they think he is to our team's success. But and also, also how much they want to make sure that they build their depth. Now. Absolutely. Yeah. Drew Shelton, I don't know if we want to get, I'm not going to get into this too much, but Drew Shelton, uh, had was tied for third with the most snaps with 60. Um, Vega Ione or Vega Ione, excuse me. Um, he was right behind them with 58 snaps. I mean, Nick Dawkins, the center, the backup center had more snaps than our starting center, uh, Hunter Norzad. So, and even our, even this new left guard, JB Nelson, uh, he, he only had 34 snaps. So it's just like the offensive line, especially, and it's a really good point you bringing up uh, getting them experience in depth is, um, you know, having a deep offensive line is really going to pay off when if Penn State's going to make an offensive or or, excuse me, make a um, national title run. That's 17 games. All right, not not twelve, not thirteen, but seventeen. If you make a national title run, so having these guys um, stay healthy and getting experience is critical. So um, let's um, let's talk about some of that value and what we saw. You know, as we think about what what this game uh, says about this Penn State team and and the mentality of this team and the execution of this team. It you know with the caveat that this was an FCS team. Let's just talk about some of the things that we saw that um, we think are revealing. Um, For me, clearly, 100%, this was uh, a game plan built around the run game. Um, you know, they ran a three-three-five, which means that the box was not particularly stacked, and it, and they decided, you know, we're gonna run the ball. We definitely run the damn ball. <laughs> we ran, we ran a lot more than we passed, um, and um, it, we just had a had a field day. You know, um, seven different ball carriers on the day, including two quarterbacks. Um, Allen was the starter. Catron had the most carries of the day as the starter. He had 19 carries to Singleton's 12. Um, he had a quote after the game where he said that he's running angry this year, and you kind of feel that when he takes the field. I mean, he's. He's hitting the hole hard, and he's dragging people behind him. And um, he hit a hundred yards, over a hundred yards on the day. Was it one hundred two or one hundred three total with a touchdown? Um, one hundred and three. I mean, I think he's taking the the national disrespect, or even in the Big Ten disrespect, being that everyone's just talking about Singleton. I think he's t- taking it pretty seriously. I think so too, which is not true. I think of anyone who's familiar with the program. It's just sort of. Uh, then you know, I think we've got two top level backs, and the fact that Nick Singleton is the only one who's ever talked about that's just a, a marketing decision. You know, basically, people choosing that Nick Singleton's a splashier one that they can plaster all 
over, you know, the the marquee when they're advertising the game. But Catron is a heck of a runner, and he showed that this past week. Um, He's underrated for sure, definitely, um, definitely. Um, but you know, beyond Catron, beyond Nick Singleton, um, you know, we also had Trey Potts, our third stringer. Um, by the way, he led the team in yards per carry at eight point four uh, yards per carry. He also um, had the longest run of the day at longest 20. run of the day. He ripped off a bunch of nice long runs when he came in um, in the second half. Um, and Tank Smith got into the action, six carries for 25 yards. Um, on the day, um, six we carries were, for 29 yards, by the way. Oh, excuse me. Um, on the Couple day, of we first were, downs, though. We were 5.3 yards per carry on 60 rushing carries on the day, bro. Yeah. 60. We only had 31 total passes as a team, 26 by Drew, uh, Drew Aller, but 60. <laughs> 60 carries. I mean, that's two to one runs per, per pass. Five, and, I, so when you have 60 carries and you average 5.3, like it's a lot of yards, man. Well, <laughs> the 5.3, it's like it's not a staggering number, but it just really speaks to the consistency and the grind that the offensive line and the backup offensive line produced in this game. You know what I mean? Like, like I'd be interested to know what our, you know, total numbers were when we had the first string offensive line in and and then what it was after that and I don't have any way of getting really into that at all but but it just goes to show you that the backup offensive line there was no drop off really um, but here's another aspect of this run rushing attack and and the offensive philosophy in the day was I, I wondered to myself are they are they give like Singleton got the start in the first game? Catron Allen got the start in the second game. Are they just going to keep rotating, or yeah, is it it's or is it based question. on the offensive game plan? Yeah, like, it might be. They it's, wanted to have a power running game, I think, in this game, but did it just line up well with the fact that they were alternating, you know, running back starts, or is it, you know, intentional? Um, yeah, great question. They, I think um, we'll, how we'll they find manage. Out, we'll find out. Come Illinois, my guess is yeah. Singleton will get the start, but. Right. But do we need to have a power running uh, it'd be, attack? You know, it'd be interesting. I mean, Allen had had a great day, and and he may have earned the start. And the game plan um, might be to to run a power run game. And, and listen, so we'll see. Singleton had as many carries this week as he had last week, I think, or did he have one less this week than he had last week? It was about the same. I can't quite. Well, he had a three point nine yard average, even though he had three touchdowns. That looks great. But with those twelve carries, when you get over ten carries as as a Nick Singleton against an FCS team, you'd like to think that you're getting more than three point nine three point nine yards. Well, keep in mind, three of those carries were goal line. They were goal line. Again, when you get twelve carries and you're only averaging three point nine, we still haven't broken a long run on. With any Singleton hasn't broken a long yeah. run specifically. Yeah. So. so, but it took him a couple games to get going last year, and and actually it was that third game against Auburn when he finally yeah. had the breakout. It's so, fair. That's fair. So we'll see. It'll Good be interesting point. to keep an eye on that. Hey, let's just um, change. Uh, by the way, I'm talk. not concerned about Singleton. That, no. that wasn't what I was su- suggesting. I kind of was more one of the highlight that like Katron, it was the guy for the job on on Saturday. Yeah, he had a great game. Um, uh, switching gears, um, just Drew Aller had um, a, a sneakily efficient day. Um, he was 22 of 26 for 204 yards. So not like incredibly splashy, but as we already said, you know, the plays were run two to one in favor of running plays. Um but but that passing line, that's 84.6% completion rate. That's that's incredible, man. I mean, and not only that, he just looked like he was in total command of the offense. And um, it just feels like 
it's been a long time since we've seen someone. I mean, honestly, I don't know the last time I saw a Penn State quarterback operate in total command of the offense. It just seemed not only did they make a good play at the end of the day, but they just seemed like completely confident, calm, you know, efficient. I mean, this guy looks like an expert and he's only, you know, he's only had a second start. We'll see what happens when he gets to, you know, more sophisticated competition, but he's looking great. Well, it's interesting that, you know, it. they didn't need Drew Aller to win this game. He just was a, he was a, better than a game manager in this, but he was a, a phenomenal game manager in, in this role because of how amazing the running game was. And that was the the point is we weren't, I don't think we're trying to throw the ball down the field. Like, I think we're like kind of holding on to those plays a little definitely, for maybe Illinois, definitely. Iowa, Ohio state, whatever the case may be. And they wanted to assert the run game, but drew Aller in that game manager role was lethal. You know, the last time we played an FCS opponent, Andy, was Villanova and we only scored 38 points and the run game was atrocious like we only ran the ball 80 yards against Villanova that game but but you know because of how bad the run game was Sean Clifford threw for 401 yards and it was necessary for Sean Clifford to throw for 401 yards in that game and four touchdowns you know because the run game could do nothing but but here we are Controlling the line of scrimmage against this FCS opponent, more than you know, almost uh, almost doubling our point total from that game, and having a much more balanced attack and controlling the line of scrimmage. So you know, I think we we've grown um, with this this having you know a better athletes all across the field, but Drew Aller not being needed to to throw the ball down the field like this. It's just you know, it's good to see that he has different elements of his game that they're showcasing and we're you know putting this on tape and making defenses and defensive coordinators prepare for this kind of a you know complete Penn State offensive attack with with these kinds of playmakers all over the field. Yeah, um, I don't know how you game plan for Penn State right now. Um, we certainly haven't shown a whole lot of weakness uh, really anywhere. And um, it, it has all the makings of being a really, really fun offense to watch the rest of the season. Um, tight ends were involved this week. Uh, it was really nice to see that. Um, Tyler Warren uh, caught the first strings only passing touchdown. Theo Johnson was targeted on the first play of the game for the offense, a catch for eight yards. Um, and Tyler Warren, he uh, tied with Kendra Lambert-Smith for the most receptions on the day at six. So um, that, I think, was both in terms of um, putting stuff that's on just, tape as well just as just setting up Theo Johnson for a totally. breakout still. I really believe I, that, that. I hope so. I don't know if he's going to be like an All-American tight end, you know, without having any stats through the first two games. But, I mean, the day is coming for Theo Johnson. The game is coming for Theo Johnson. Multiple games are coming for Theo Johnson. And to sh to make people have to think about uh, Tyler Warren a lot, and while, while by the way, Theo Johnson's, the these tight ends are involved in the blocking game very successfully, I would say. Yeah, and the run game is going really well in part because of how good the tight ends have been blocking. Um, so they're not by any means uninvolved. They're just not getting on the stat sheet as much as we might expect, F but five I think tight today ends, is coming. Five tight ends got on the field for Penn State. Khalil Dinkins had 17 snaps. Andrew Rapplier, uh, the true freshman, had 11 snaps and Jerry Cross got out there for five snaps. Well, Warren and Johnson dominated with 55 and 54 respectively. So they obviously are our, our top two by a, a wide margin, but you know, we got a good room and they they got some work uh, and it's good to see them kind of bringing that element into the game moving forward. 
Look, the defense um, had a similar kind of day to the offense that is, um, for the most part, um, really, really uh, solid um, with a lot of people getting involved on the defensive side of the game. A lot of uh, freshmen were involved um, in uh, specific plays as well as um, on the stat sheet. But there was that one play, that long touchdown play, which is, you know, kind of frustratingly reminiscent to that Michigan game last year. In fact, that was the longest run allowed since Michigan when Donovan Edwards ran for a 67-yard touchdown run um, last year. Uh, You'd really like to see that uh, not happen against a team like Delaware. Um, Really what it looked like was uh, the linebackers were out of position and Tyler Elsden seemed... <laughs> I mean, we don't know what scheme they're running and who is supposed to be where, but it looked um, on tape that Tyler Elsden should have been in that gap. He was pressing too far up toward the line, and by the time the the dude who was a quick dude hit the hit the gap, he was off to the races, and the and the safeties weren't in position to be able to make the play. Um, you know, again, chalk this up to maybe a young, uh, early in the season defense still trying to figure out how to run Manny Diaz's complicated schemes. But this is the kind of thing that takes the wind out of a sails when you're playing a really good uh, offensive team like Michigan or Ohio State. I really, really hope we can get this thing corrected. Yeah, I, I, I'm not terribly concerned. It was one play. You know, it just yeah. happened to be, you know, the perfect play that they ran to to against the the miss. You know, the miss. But it's of- one play in the context of the this being our kind of Achilles heel on defense. Fair, fair. And uh, so that's why I, I thought. I, but I but I also keep it like with the uh, you know I hold it in the idea that like this is against an FCS team. I'm not saying we overlooked Delaware, but like you almost we certainly did you not overlook them. No, no, no. You almost can though overlook from a preparatory or a, on a from a play by play basis. Like, are, are you are you completely locked in against an FCS opponent on a play by play basis? Well, you know? I would just like to say that the offense was completely locked in on a play by play basis, and the defense. And if all we missed was one play on defense yeah. from a being locked in standpoint, it's a learning experience. Yeah, and you know, now's you know, the time Manny, to learn it. Now's right. the time to learn it. Right, because you still have to deal with Illinois. You know that we've got coming up this week. With a quarterback that just did the same exact thing, by the way, on on a seventy two yard run against um, Kansas, albeit when the game was out of hand, literally the same, almost the same play. Not from not not running back, but their quarterback ran for seventy two yard touchdown when at a blown assignment play, almost exactly identical to the to where it happened on the field for uh, us against Delaware. But um, I just you know. I think that you're, you know, we're going to lock in defensively when that, as the stakes now are getting absolutely more real in the Big Ten. I really believe that they're going to lock in differently. Well, they they say practice makes perfect, but it's actually perfect practice makes perfect. And so <laughs> it is, a, right? It's a little, uh, you know, you just want to see the defense get into that mentality where they are locked in even when it quote unquote doesn't matter. So you know how to do it when it does. Um, hopefully you're right. And, um, and we don't see these kind of lapses going forward. Um, last thing I just want to talk about, we already talked about a bunch of the, um, the young people who got in, um, you know, some future stars in the making, no doubt. Um, but I, I want to just wrap up by, um, talking about our first 
really decent glimpse of Bo Pribula, which apparently the announcers were calling him Pribula, uh, not Pribula, as I suggested last week. So um, I I don't know. I'm so confused about how to how to say this guy's name. And I, I you know, Bo, not that you're listening, but um, we if if you if you want to give everyone a clue, um, I'm going to go with Pribula because that's what NBC went with. But anyway, um, we got to see him for an ex, for an extended period of time. Um, he had eight rushes for 46 yards. That's eight and a half. Uh, excuse me, 5.8 yards per carry with a rushing touchdown. And he was also three of five passing for 22 yards and a passing touchdown. Pretty nice day for our backup quarterback. I'm just curious, Tom, what are your thoughts as having gotten to see Bo Prabula for an extended period of time on our current backup quarterback? Well, jury's still out on if he is a great passing quarterback he seems to be you know and this is you know a product of of how he's gotten in the games but you know if if he had to come in say to start the first half against Illinois the way uh Drew had to come in to start the, the excuse me the second half against uh Illinois the way Drew had to come in the second half against Purdue in the game opener um season opener last year like what is he able to do when the game is on the line as a passer? That's what I wonder. Because he seems to be, a, as of now, a run-first quarterback, both from a, a um, you know, <laughs> play-calling standpoint and just from his skill standpoint from what I can see. So yeah. I'm not I, sure I'm he's totally you. comfortable as a passer in this passing offense. My assumption is they would tailor the offensive play calling to his skill set, his current skill set. And I still think he has some room for growth in the passing department, which really kind of, by the way, makes you, you know, we do need him on this team. I, I I am fully like, I believe that. And I, I fully believe that, but you know, if he were to leave, we'd be in trouble. Like if he were to leave, like Will Levis did, I think we'd be, we'd be in trouble. Yeah. I mean, um, Jackson Smollock did get, I think two or three snaps because no, Bo no per- passes and no runs. He just handed the ball off twice. I think twice. Yeah. Um, Bo Prabula had like a cut on his arm and he came over to get that treated. And so, um, Jackson Smollett came in and handed the ball off twice. So we don't have any real clue of what he looks like, but you know, here, here's my take on, um, Bo Prabula. I think they were intentionally putting him in there for run plays because they have a package I, I, with yeah, them and of, of they course. want future opponents to to have to game plan for that. In fact, James Franklin even said that when he did have to pass um, and he had, a, he had a really nice touchdown pass to Amari Evans. It was right on the money. He read the defense well. He found his open receiver and, and threw right where he needed to do. I just think I don't know that I'm necessarily concerned. We just haven't seen him have to operate a passing offense yet. Um, I agree. I would love to see a little bit more from him on that. Um, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily anywhere close to feeling good about Bo Prabula running the offense compared to Drew Aller. Just some of that's just because Drew Aller's just been so spectacular. And it, by the way, so to close up your final thought, and I still have one of my own here. Um, but you, you know, they the quarterback competition to me was in name only. And I, I th- feel that's obvious. I, it is it is very obvious, and that's no slight to to Bo. 
you know, he just has further to go from a development standpoint because Drew was there in high school, more or less, you know? Um, And, and, you know, that's fine. I just know that the the team knows they need him, so they have to do this. They have to keep this guy engaged and and, and working hard to to live up to that Drew passing uh, standard. For me, Drew Aller's command of the playbook, his total, he seems to have a total comprehension of the offense to the point where he's able to execute it um, in what appears to be sort of a flawless way. I um, mean, and again, even compared to Sean Clifford last year, even though you know this is this guy's a film junkie and he knows the playbook back and forth and he's doing all the work all the time, when he got on the field, it seemed like there were times where he just you know, was like a deer in the headlights and just running for his life. Not once in two games did you ever feel like Drew didn't know what he was doing True is, with the ball. Is, is not a threat as a runner, but he can move the chains as a runner. And and, and as and a he, scrambler... I feel like all of his decisions to run the ball were, were perfect yeah, decisions. Yeah, he just is not going to run away from everybody right, or anybody. Right. For that matter, um, I, I'm much more pleased that Drew in the pocket is a tactician. He's, he can feel pressure. He can oh, move man, around in the pocket. watching him work. He, get, he gets it. He gets it. He's a passer. And that's... We haven't had a passer like this in a long time. Okay, so... Um, Final my, thought. My final thought is this was a dominating performance on every level minus that one defensive play. All right. Special teams made no mistakes. All right. We didn't attempt any field goals, but but our offense, we were eight for fourteen on third day, or third down efficiency. We were three for three on fourth down efficiency. Um we, you know, just chewed them apart and we had no turnovers yet again and finally got a couple of our own. We held the ball for 42 minutes and 22 seconds, Andy. The the opposing offense only had 42 snaps total. They only had 58 yards passing. And if you remove the 66-yard touchdown run, Andy, they had under they had like 80 some odd yards of of offense, all right? So, this was a complete team performance and we got everybody involved. This is a great scrimmage <laughs> for, the, for the upcoming Big <laughs> yeah. Ten slate. It really was. And we have another a non-conference scrimmage with UMass too. So so the I don't hate the, the scheduling right now. I think it sets up well. I think I love what I saw from this weekend and and I think it's time to go into to talking about the Big Ten. Yeah, well, um, that's exactly what we'll be doing on our next episode, given a preview of that Illinois game, which is coming up Um Be sure to tune into that episode when it drops. Until then, that's going to do it for us. Please remember to subscribe and uh, follow us. Share with your friends. Write a review. Give us a rating. Um, Shout out via an email. Uh, We'd love to feature your engagement on our podcast in the mailbag. Until then, bro, it always starts with I love you. And it ends with I love you. It always starts with I love you. We are Penn State. Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 